Welcome to What is Black Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Duget. And for today's episode, we're focusing on youth violence because it's a significant public health problem and an adverse childhood experience and disproportionately affects African-American youth. We're joined today by Dr. Denise Powell, who's a physician and a journalist who is passionate and advocating um, prevention of youth violence. So let's get started with the show. Dr. Powell is a fourth year med student. She's just about to graduate and she's also a, um, a, a journalist as well. So welcome, um, Dr. Powell. Thank you so much. Yes, it's so nice to be um, on your show. So Dr. Powell and I met each other via Instagram and I'm, I'm, I just can't say I'm new to Instagram, but I'm getting to be more an aficionado of Instagram and love Denise's work, especially as a journalist and knowing that she's a um, going to be a, a a doctor as well as using her journalistic background and some of her interests. Um, I definitely wanted to um, talk with her. So Dr. Powell's one of Dr. Powell's interests and expertise is on the issue of violence among youth. And this is. So I'll, I'll have Dr. Powell introduce herself, give a little, give a little bit more background about who she is and what she does and um, why this topic is so important to her. For sure. Yes. So I am Denise Powell. I'm in the final month of my fourth year of medical school in Jackson, Mississippi. And then, like you said, I'll be pursuing a pediatric residency in San Francisco, California. I'll be moving out there in June. And for me, um, this topic is very dear just based on my background of growing up in the South, in the Southern United States, and in Jackson. Um, Here in Jackson, crime is an issue like in many urban cities throughout the country. And unfortunately, I was exposed to this at a very young age. Um, And a story that comes to mind in particular, I remember we used to have these parties hosted by one of my classmates in middle school like every year. And I remember at one particular party, I had a friend who had just moved to the United States from out of the country. And my mother thought it would be such a great idea to invite her to one of these parties and, you know, just introduce her to the city in general. And at this particular party, um, it was crazy. Uh, Back in the day, you know, Hurricane Chris was a big deal. He was there. It was just one of those parties where everybody was really excited. And then the party came to a close and we went outside And we were waiting for my mother to pick us up. We were 12 to 13 years old. And I just remember my friend calling me and telling me that there was shooting inside the party. And we had already been outside and my mom was on her way. So we ducked behind a tree and we literally saw the shooter come out of the party. And my friend who was from Mexico um, was just very shocked that this was happening, you know, in an environment with our classmates and where we all felt comfortable. And I remember as soon as the shooter ran off and all that happened, my mom drove up and she was like, how was the party? And it was just crazy, you know, that at 12 or 13 years old, we were telling my mom that um, she had just missed a shooting at one of our parties. And so for me, that was the earliest experience I had with interpersonal and gun violence. And um, I think it just really sparked once I got into medical school, it just really hit close to home that gun violence is a public health issue. And it's something that I think more kids realize or more kids deal with um, than we realize. And so I think it's something that as a future future pediatrician, um, I realize we have an obligation to really um, talk about with our patients and just counteract um, with preventive medicine. Now, I think, I I mean, I I know that, um, that violence 
is one of the leading causes of, of death for, for young people. But and you know, doing some research um, to prepare for the interview with you, I was shocked at the disparities in communities of color. Correct. Not that I yes. should have been, right? I mean, and maybe more specifically homicide, homicide rates, um, disparities. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. You know, you talk, you know, you mentioned your experience um, with gun violence and I and I'm so sorry that that happened to you. But I'm just wondering how you how do you how do you feel about, you know, your experiences and the current data? Absolutely. Yes. So like you said, homicide is a leading cause um, of death among African-American youth. I think it's on the Centers of Prevention and Disease Control website where they actually say that it's a leading cause of death among African-American males um, up to the age of 34. I think it's 15 to 34. And of course, like many African-American females, I think it hits home because you have brothers, brothers, cousins, um, people who fit in that, that demographic where you're like, wow, that could happen to my own family member or my own friend. So like many people, I think it hits really close to home. Um, and then if you're even talking about, you know, cultural culture and things that happen in the news, um, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Nipsey Hussle and his re- recent death, but um, to me that also hit home because he literally fit into that demographic. He, I believe, was a 33-year-old African-American male living in Los Angeles, California, and right after that, I actually went to the CDC website and I looked up what is the leading leading cause of death in African-American males in the United States. And like you said, it had homicide on there. So for him to fall in that category so closely, um, barely hitting that, you know, barely making it out of that 34 year old age range for a leading leading cause of death. Um, to me, that really hit home um, because you know, when we talk about violence in the African-American community, yes, it is intra and interracial. It happens within our community and it happens on our community. Um, But I think when you look at the stats, I think that's when it really hits home where you're like, wow, this is really problematic. And it is most definitely a public health issue. So in sharing your experiences as a, you know, 12, 13 year old, I mean, as a, as a mom, you know, my best reaction is, oh my God, I, you know, other, you know, I can't believe that that happened. Right. Because I think as a parent, you know, again, the party that you were going to, your mom probably assumed, okay, you know, this is a safe space. I'm going to drop you off. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to come home together and not even, not even realize that that could have occurred. Right. Or that, that, that probably happened, the, the gun violence. So I was just wondering how this, the effect of violence, do you think it's, do you think it's disproportionate disproportionately affects younger, younger, younger kids of color or just younger kids in general? And what's the impact of exposure? Or is there a same impact or impact with exposure versus actually having it, having, having a personal experience with like you're a victim of a, of gun violence? Right, right. And I think this is a great question, especially with our relationship. You know, I interviewed you for my blog on Melanin Meetups about, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And I think this definitely plays into um, into that, right? Because when you're talking about experiencing trauma like gun violence at such a young age, um, it's not only dealing, uh, affecting that child um, health-wise and down the line, but it's also impacting their future children, intergenerational effects on their children. And so I think that's one thing we really need to talk more about within um, the medical community. I think we're doing such a great job, but it's something... Personally, I didn't really know about that until I got into medical school, until it was like my fourth year. Um, And I think that's something 
I found very useful, and I think other medical students would find very useful, talking about the impact of gun violence on communities of color, children of color, and how it can even impact their children down the line. So I, I do think it has this unique implication for children of color. Um, it has historically, and it, it does to this day. And so I think that's that's a great question, and I think um, ACEs definitely play into gun violence when you're talking about communities of color. So, Dr. Powell, if you can go back a little bit and kind of share a little bit about what adverse childhood experiences are. I think you touched on it a little bit, but just for listeners who may not be as familiar with that term. Yes, absolutely. And you schooled me, actually a lot on this. So I'd, I'd love to reiterate what you told me. Um, so when children deal with trauma, um, it does have an impact on their health, both mentally and physically. And so these implications, these health impacts that, um, on kids can be passed down to future generations as well. So when you have kids, like in Jackson, for instance, and this is a very sad case, but it happened a couple of days ago, um, there was actually a 14-year-old African-American male who was killed by a grown man over a bicycle. And it it's such a... It's sad to say this, but I think in my community, in some ways, it's been normalized. Um, people are very upset over it, but it also happens so often. Um, and I think a lot of kids who experience this, we just don't know what kind of impact it's having on their own children down the line. So I, I do think um, when you're talking about examples of ACEs, this would be a, an example, you know, seeing kids in Jackson who see violence um, every now and then, the impact it has on their future children, that would be an example of ACEs. So thank you for, um, for that. I think that, that clearly, clearly states how you know the that that intersection of the impact that this has only on the, on the individual but also the community it's not just it's not just the teen or the younger person that's affected right it it affects it can even affect their children as they grow up right especially if you're and if you're repeatedly exposed to um that trauma right right and preparing for the preparing for the interview the one thing I really, really loved is that you make a connection between violence, race, public health, and ethics. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. What can you explain that interconnection, that in, those interconnections? Absolutely, yes. And I think actually, um, when you're talking about community models in place to counteract violence within um, healthcare and the community, I think that's a great example of how all of this intersects and interconnects. Um, a good example would be UCSF. They actually have a project called Wraparound, and they really hit on so many different um, avenues within society to change violence within communities of color. Um, they offer educational services. They talk to patients who were victims of violence when they're in the hospital because they realize that this is a very vulnerable point in their life where they could potentially have a change of heart over something like this. They um, they just use so many different avenues to reach out to people who are both victims of gun violence and violence or who are enactors within violence. And they just use that interconnectedness to really create that change. And I think um, that's the beautiful part about pediatrics in general. You just have so many different avenues to make that difference within children's lives, whether it's education, societal, cultural. It's just such an interconnected avenue. And I think that's why it's it's so beautiful that you can be, um, you can create this preventive medicine in a sense within a community. So Dr. Powell, what was really, I mean, you, again, you shared your experiences and how, how it impacted you, but how, how did you, how did you take that experience and then turn it into this advocacy or this, this 
you know, the, the th- things that you do, like you write articles, mm-hmm. um, and again, other advocacy work that you do within your community to really to try to make a difference. Like, what was that turning point for you to to do that? Yes, absolutely. Um, when I was in college in New Orleans, actually, I had my first African American teacher. She was amazing, and she taught me. Actually, took three courses with her, and one of them was actually called uh, "Violence in Black America." And I, this was definitely sparked out of interest from what I experienced when I was a child, and I wanted to learn more about this and what I could do to counteract this. And at the point, at that point, I had just decided I wanted to go into medicine and I knew I wanted to do adolescent, um, fellowship within pediatrics at that time. So this was perfect. And I just remember we talked about the differences, uh, the different types of violence within the African-American community. We talked about structural violence, institutional violence, interpersonal violence, domestic violence. And we just really broke it down in a way, um, to where she taught us how we could be an actors and we could change that cycle within our own communities. And I think for me, that was the moment where I realized healthcare and medicine really plays a role in preventing violence. So for me, um, that's definitely when I realized um, this is something I'm very passionate about. And um, it's something that's definitely um, been cyclic within our community. Um, and there has been change and there has been improvement, but there's definitely a long, long way to go, as we can see. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's frustrating. And I and I do think um, and in, in some ways being a physician or making a choice because it's, you know, it's it's an arduous process sometimes. But it's right. a it's a you know, having, having done it myself, but to me, sometimes there is kind of that sense of empowerment, knowing that you have, maybe there is something you can do, right. Especially the legitimacy. I think the MD does give, give to you, um, to sort of represent your, your community, um, represent kids and family. So I, I applaud you for, for doing that. Thank you so much. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Um, do you do you find your peers have that sort of that same sense of wanting to to make that change as well? Right. I think that's something um, th- as a nation we've been working on a lot. Um, for instance, Student National Medical Association, which, um, as you probably know, is one of those organizations that is really fostering um, community involvement within communities of color, particularly medical students of color. It's been around since the 60s, I believe. And we have a very active chapter on our campus. And so I've been very fortunate to have those peers to work with on issues like this. And for peers who aren't in this organization or who maybe aren't as knowledgeable about this issue, um, a lot of my classmates have actually been, when I first met them, for instance, many of them didn't really know what this was about. They didn't know the stats. They didn't know it was an issue, even though many of them live in Jackson. And I found people are really a lot more willing to listen and um, be proactive than you give credit, give them credit for a lot of times. And throughout my medical school experience, I think this is something I've learned that sometimes you really do just need to take the time to see if people know, you know, that it's an issue. Um, And if not, see if they're if they're curious or they want to be involved in making a change. Something else that I've seen. um, So as we as we know, implicit bias does play a role in healthcare, but it also plays a role um, in other fields like uh, police task forces. And I think with the growing concern over police brutality or, you know, it's been an issue or there has been concern. I think also a lot of my classmates have been um, very understanding of the issue of implicit bias and how it plays a role in police brutality even. 
Um, and so I've, I've just been surprised at how how supportive they've been, actually. And it's been a very good experience throughout medical school. We've all grown together in our knowledge and we've all um, really, you know, really tried to understand together. And I think I think what's important is that, you know, the actions that you're taking um, either as a medical student, you know, future doctor is that, you know, it underscores that, you know, youth violence doesn't have to happen. Right. It I think it is preventable. And I was just wondering your some of your thoughts about what do you hope to to do with your role to sort of help um, prevent or continue advocating for uh, a reduction in youth violence? Yes. Um, actually, the pediatric residency I'm going to is very, um, it, it basically focuses on becoming both clinically competent as well as competent um, in your community. So one of the things that I'll be doing is actually looking for a project to get involved with once I get out to San Francisco. And I do want to incorporate this somehow, this this mission of preventing violence within my community. And then I do hope to return to Jackson and really um, bring those lessons that I learned in residency back to my community. Um, in addition, I think as pediatricians, um, those guidelines that are on the American Academy of Pediatrics website about, you know, preventing violence, screening for violence within communities. I know personally that's something that I want to become more conscious of and more informed about. I've, I've been looking through the AAP site. I've seen that they have a lot of ways to really get involved in that. And um, I just hope to really just become connected in that and stay involved in that process and that decision making. I think that's the cool thing about the AAP, that there's just so many different avenues to be involved. And I was just very pleasantly surprised to see that there was a council completely dedicated to this issue. And so um, for me, I just really hope to be involved in things like that throughout my residency and career. And just um, like you were saying, I don't know if I'll see that change immediately, but I do think that there is room for that change down the line, even if I don't see it. And I think, and I agree with you because I mean, there, you know, and we talked, we talked before um, I started, you know, press the record button, but in that, you know, we do the work that we do and we do it because there's a need for it to be done. And, right. and for me, it's almost sometimes kind of like a way to address helplessness, you know, feeling like, okay, I don't have control. I have to do something. And, but I try to try to do it in a, in a constructive, positive way. And like you said, the AP or the American County Pediatrics is one of those forums where you get to meet sort of like-minded colleagues um, to, so, so that you have some support and addressing some of these, you know, these, sometimes it seems like, you know, just, I mean, these horrible, you know, horrible things, a young person dying or any person dying um, from gun violence, especially when we know that it's preventable. Right. Right. So this has been a great conversation. I think, you know, I think what was important to me about this episode, I mean, unfortunately we can't, you know, in, in a 20, 30 minute conversation, I can't, I don't think we'll be able to solve gun violence or violence in our, amongst our youth. But I think it's important, like you said, that we give voice to it. We give voice to those, to those individuals who have experienced it. This episode is really about bringing awareness to an important issue right. that I don't, I think people, people know is an issue. Right? We hear about it in the news a lot, but to really frame it as a health issue, as a public health issue is important. Right, right. Agreed. And I think um, one of the ways that 
I have been very fortunate to have my own direct impact in this. Um, I actually started a health literacy program in Jackson. Um, and it's crazy to see some of the questions that these kids have um, that you would never think about. So the, the program really targets kids from five to 14. And I have had kids ask me about things like gun violence and things about, you know, what do I do if there's a shooting at my school? What do I do if in this situation? And I, I think it's just crazy to see kids think about it that that young of an age. So it's, it's definitely, it's become very real, very fast, even not in the clinical setting all the time, being in it, maybe like um, an after school setting, like in my health literacy program and hearing kids talk about that kind of thing. Do you think the, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've had, you know, we've had like back to back mass gun, you know, mass shootings, right? Right. And recently in school settings, have you found, have kids, have kids talked to you about that at all? Like how they feel about what they've seen on television or there are fear that they may have or, or how, you know, how schools are dealing with um, gun violence, even in schools. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, my, the students in my program haven't asked me about that type of gun violence in particular. It really has been more of in on a singular level, you know, what do I do if there's a drive by, what do I do um, in those types of situations? I think I've actually seen that question more so in my journalism career with people who I interview or people, um, yeah, people who I've interviewed, but not anybody who's been a patient or maybe someone who I've known, you know, closely or directly. So it's, it's crazy to also see how your circumstances can really frame the way you question and view things as well. Um, I'm sure kids are very concerned about that. I know um, a lot of schools have actually set up, you know, practice sessions about what to do in case there is a massive gun shooting in, within their academic environment. And um, I know there's a lot of data and studies floating around about whether um, that's the right thing to do or not. And I think it's something we're just going to have to grow from and learn from, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So do you think, do you think, because I mean, I think you bring up a good point and I, and I, and I guess I'm looking at my biases a little bit as well mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, I don't, I can say that I don't live in a neighborhood where I'm, I'm concerned that I'm going to be shot. I mean, the, I, it could happen, right? Right. It's not right. a, it's not a day to day fear or it's, it's, it's not a, I don't worry about that on a day-to-day basis. And I think I'm just thinking back to, um, I think it was after Parkland when, when there was a youth rally, that one young lady, I forget, she was an African-American young lady who yes. came up to the stage and really pointed out, maybe, I think she was a speaker, but I know other students have spoken on as well. The disparity, even about, you know, the, the, the coverage, the media coverage that the those massive those school shootings had versus day to day violence or occurrences that are occurring in major cities. For sure, for sure, and I and I completely agree. I've seen a number of people be vocal about this, and um, I do think there's a need to address all types of gun violence, and I, I think they're all very important. But I, I completely get what you're saying, where. Um, you do see certain things in, in media more than others. And I think when you do have shootings on that larger scale where, um, unfortunately, multiple people get killed at once. Um, and then also there is, like I was saying, in my home city or where I was raised, um, you know, so I don't see a lot of that in the newsroom anyway. Sometimes I don't see people really concerned about it. I don't hear about it in the newsroom, even though it's affecting people that I know back home. 
And I think that's crazy too, you know, um, and I, I try to shed light on that and tell people about it in the newsroom, you know, a lot of times like, wow, this is happening. Like this probably needs to be covered, but even in my city, sometimes, you know, it happens and then the next, the next shooting happens. And then you, like I said, it's sad, but it almost becomes normalized in a sense. And I think that's kind of where you get into trouble where you're not take you're not looking at every single case individually, you know, it, it, you know, if you're looking at it like a disease, almost like pathology, you're not looking at each case differently. You're kind of like lumping them all together. So I think that's another thing that needs addressing and improvement, you know, just like really taking the time and effort to create solutions to every single problem that happens regarding gun violence and interpersonal violence. Um, and that's something that I really want to be involved, going back to your question earlier, that's something I want to be involved with as well in my in my home city of Jackson, just really looking at each of these cases and saying, you know, in a problem solution approach, what could have been done to prevent this? What could have been done in the moment? What can be done after to prevent this from happening again? Um, and I think that goes for both large scale shootings and, you know, um, interpersonal violence, whether it happens between one, two, three people. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because, again, it just reiterates, re reiterates for me and reminds me that, you know what, you know, you can live different lifetimes. Like, I mean, I grew up in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. in the 70s and 80s. And I'm not saying I lived in a, in a neighborhood where there was there was constant threat of gun violence. But I know there were people who lived in certain parts of the city where there was a concern. And now, you know, OK, so I don't I live in suburbia now. So it's a different it's a different different lifetime for me now. But yeah. but again, I think it's important that we don't forget that this this is an issue for it affects young people, disproportionately affects um, African-American um, youth. But it's but it's but we know that not all kids this doesn't happen to all kids. But when it does happen to a kid and it, and I know that it's a preventable and preventable, I'll say it's a preventable disease. Right. It's a public health, public health epidemic that, right. you know, we've got to address it. And I think shedding light on it and having um, doctors like yourself, individuals like yourself advocating and, you know, working towards that, I, I feel very hopeful. <laughs> Yeah, same, same. And it's it's so cool, too, to see, um, I guess, the point of programs like the health literacy program is to kind of also lead the ladder down for other people to follow, right? And mm -hmm. so by talking to kids about this type of stuff at such an early age, it makes you even more help, help, hopeful to see um, how, I guess, how well the kids receive this information and what they want to do with it. Um, so, for instance, my personal experience, I've had a lot of kids at the beginning of the year who didn't really have any interest in science or healthcare or anything like that. And I think by talking about these types of issues and, and telling them that it is a preventable thing and that it does tie into healthcare, I've actually seen a lot of interest because they want to prevent things like this from happening in their community. And it, like you said, it makes you very hopeful, you know, just to see, even if it's like two or three more kids in that class who, who now have an interest in healthcare and medicine, especially if they're African-American and, you know, we're so disproportionately, um, you know, underrepresented, you know, it's, it's just really makes you hopeful to see kids who now have the spark of interest in something like this and could potentially be the change um, in a situation like gun violence within our communities. And, you know, and, and again, I, I want people to understand that I know that, you know, being a pediatrician is not going to not going to solve the issue. There's systemic issues, there there right. are regulations there are policy issues that have to be addressed. But I think, you know, there, there are things that 
I think there's also hope in the fact that there are there are certain things that individuals can do, you know, in terms of advocacy. However, you define that advocacy, getting out and working to make a difference is something that you can do. And I think you inspire. Hopefully, you inspire other people to know that they can do something if they if they choose to go into the health field. That this is a great opportunity as well um, to make a difference in their community. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Powell, for joining us today. Thank you. It's been so wonderful to talk to you about this important issue. I really appreciate it. Now, Dr. Powell, if people want to learn more about your, again, because you are a journalist as well, learn more about your work, how can they, how can they find you? Are you on social media, website? Yes, yes. Um, so for a lot of my published work with the different news outlets, um, you can usually just type in my name, Denise Powell, and then the news source. So I've written for ABC, uh, CNN, a few for Good Morning America. Um, I've also written for Doximity, uh, which is basically a platform for medical professionals, physicians. Um, and then I've written one piece for Blavity about um, our recent um, election in Mississippi this past, I think it was November. Um, we had a runoff election. And then I do have an Instagram. It's in underscore E-E-S-I-E, <laughs> where um, I try to just like post things that are culturally relevant um, and then other than that, I'm just kind of like seeing how to compile all of my work portfolio into one place. So that's kind of like pending. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if you just Google my name and then the news source, my work will pop up under news. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to what is black podcast. As always, we'd love to hear from you where you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, you can find us on most apps that you listen to podcasts we're on apple Podcasts, stitcher google play and spotify so tell a friend and we look forward to hearing from you